on August 5th, 2010, in the Ataman Desert in uh, Chile, uh, there were a group of miners that were working in a mine that was 121 years old. Uh, the mine had experienced its fair share of safety violations and uh, disasters over its long history. On that day, August 5th, 2010, uh, Laborers were working in the mine, and the supervisors noticed uh, shifting in the mine's infrastructure. Shortly thereafter, there was this devastating collapse in the mine, and 33 miners uh, found themselves trapped uh, 2,300 feet uh, below the surface uh, of the earth. Uh, they, They found themselves hunkered in this place they called the refuge, They were trapped for a total of 69 days as rescuers from all over the world labored to get into the mine to get them out. It was 17 days before they even knew if the miners were alive, before they could drill and bore a hole and get uh, sound equipment down this small hole to hear voices and tapping and a full 69 days before they were rescued. And you may recall the, uh, the whole ordeal was chronicled by Hollywood in a film called The 33, uh, starring Antonio Banderas kind of as the group's leader. Uh, there's a huge celebration following the rescue of all 33 miners. Uh, in fact, the president of Chile was there, and uh, they sang the national anthem together as people emerged from the mine. Uh, There's something that captivates us about rescue stories and saving stories. Some of you were alive in 1987. Show of hands, who was alive in 1987? Who was old enough to remember 1987? Maybe you were just barely alive in 1987. You probably remember the story that gripped national attention about Jessica McClure, a young 18-month-old in Midland, Texas, who was uh, walking on her aunt's property, and she fell into a well. Uh, She was trapped there, and rescuers assembled. Uh, They devised a plan. They executed the plan over the course of two and a half days. Uh, The plan involved digging a well next to where Jessica was and then boring a tunnel into where Jessica was and then bringing her out through the new well. And she was rescued. And and I remember um, my parents gripped to the news every night. What was happening to baby Jessica? Was she going to come out of the well safely? And then we saw the images of her being removed safely. And by the way, uh, I think we know where trucker hats got their start, right? Um, In all the pictures you see of Jessica's rescue, there are trucker hats everywhere. It's funny how fashion kind of makes a uh, complete circle in his back. So If you think you're cool and you're new and you wear trucker hats with the cool little ribbons, hey, they did it in 87 as well. Um, Another rescue story I found this week uh, happened January 30th, uh, 1945. Uh, The Japanese had um, completed something called the Death March, and they had imprisoned a number of Americans and Filipinos in a prison camp in Cabanatuan City, uh, Philippines. A group of army rangers assisted by Filipino guerrillas made their way 35 miles behind enemy lines to a well-fortified, heavily guarded prison camp. And those army rangers stealthily and skillfully overwhelmed the guards at the prison camp and were able to rescue 510 prisoners of war while suffering two casualties from our army. Uh, That raid is considered one of the greatest army rescue missions in our army's history. Uh, It's called the Great Raid. In fact, a movie was made about it in the 90s. There's something about rescue stories 
that captivate us. Uh, they resonate with us. Uh, just think about the box office. Think, think about the movies that we watch, the television shows that we enjoy. Many of them center around some sort of theme of rescue. Our obsession with superhero movies, whether you are Marvel or DC, or you pres- prefer something more of the space variety, Star Wars with, with Jedis and Siths, or you like your Star Trek and your Klingons and your pointy ears, like whatever it is that, that you enjoy when it comes to superheroes and, and this fiction world, so often those films center around some sort of rescue, some sort of, of battle that's fought to save people. Even our dystopian films like The Hunger Games are are centered on rescuing and saving somebody or, or something. Our military films that do so well at the box office, they're all about rescue. Think about what you see in the lives of children. Many a pacifist parent has been incredibly disappointed when their child picks up a stick and turns it into a gun or a sword, or they pick up a rock and it becomes a grenade, they have tried so hard to embed in their child, we don't hurt anybody, there's no violence, and suddenly this child, who's grown up wrapped in bubble wrap, uh, starts picking up things like, where did you get that from? But they're not trying to you know, create anarchy, they're, they're envisioning themselves rescuing somebody, doing battle, defending. I, I can remember being six to eight years old. My, my parents were really strict with what we watched on television. I hadn't really seen much more than, than Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny by that point. We weren't allowed to watch regular television. And I can remember being out in the yard with a, a classmate, his name was Greg Yeager, I'm in second or third grade. We're laying on our bellies in Greg's yard, staring at his dad's mini barn. And inside his dad's mini barn, there are incredibly bad people. And those incredibly bad people have captured our classmates and maybe or maybe not some of the girls that we loved. And so we are laying on our bellies in his yard with sticks in one hand and rocks in the other, but we imagine them as machine guns and grenades. And we start a full-on assault of his dad's mini-born. I can only imagine what people driving by through the neighborhood during those summer days wondered, what are these kids doing? And we were rescuing people. I think of the stories that I've heard of, of young kids taking their stuffed animals to a vet clinic in their home as they rescue them, as they save them. How many kids want to play doctor uh, alongside their parents and they bring them in with those cool little Fisher-Price doctor toys and they want to save and they want to rescue. There's something about rescue that resonates with our human hearts. It's like we're hardwired for rescue. We're hardwired for saving. As I think about rescue stories, I I identified four elements that every rescue story has in common. There is someone or something that needs rescued. There is something that we need rescued from. There is something that we're rescued to. And there is a rescuer. I would submit to you that the greatest rescue story of all time is what we celebrate with Christmas. That the God of the universe came to rescue us and to save us. And it meets all of those criteria. This Advent season, we are really hoping to look beyond Jesus as a baby. I don't want to look past him. I don't want to miss that Jesus was a baby. I don't want to miss that Jesus was an infant, that Jesus came humbly in human flesh, what we call the incarnation, that God came and through the humility of an infant child made himself known in our world. 
But I want us to be able to look even beyond the baby. So often we get distracted by, by the simplicity of the manger. But let's, let's celebrate that and look beyond that to see the significance of the one who came. So, so our series this Advent season is that, that Jesus was more than a baby. He was the firstborn of all creation. We looked at Colossians 1 in the first week of this series. He's king. We looked into Matthew chapter 1 last week. And this is we're going to look back to Matthew chapter 1 and Luke 2 and see how Jesus is more than a baby. He is Savior. He's our rescuer. He fulfills the criteria of our rescue story. He's the ultimate rescuer. So if you have your Bible, find Matthew chapter 1. We're going to kind of be there in Luke chapter 2 this morning. We're actually going to pick up in Matthew chapter 1 where we left off last week. Last week we looked at the first 18 verses, but in particular verse 1 and verses 16 through 18. And uh, we saw how Jesus was the Messiah, how Matthew emphasizes that as a, a Jewish man writing to Jewish people. He reminds them that this is the anointed king we've been waiting for. But picking up where we left off after verse 18, after we learned that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph and before they came together, she was pregnant with the Holy Spirit. We pick up in verse 19 with this. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. This is going to be our verse of emphasis here. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You were to name this child Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I don't know if you've ever looked at this or studied this. Do you know where we got the name Jesus from? It comes from the Greek, Jesus. Uh, when the Greek was translated into Latin, they substituted the J sound for the Y, and so we got Jesus. Uh, we as people say Jesus. But Matthew was a Jewish person who spoke predominantly Hebrew and Aramaic. We know that Matthew wrote his gospel um, in Hebrew in a blend of Aramaic. So when Matthew first records the life of Jesus for a Jewish audience and wants to communicate the significance of who Jesus is, he would not have written the word Jesus or Jesus. Uh, the word that Matthew would have included is the word Yeshua. Yeshua, the Lord saves. There's a really cool play on words in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, if you were to read it in the Hebrew and Aramaic blend, and that you will name him Yeshua because he will yesha his people from their sins. Matthew is showing us, the Holy Spirit is showing us through Jesus, Yeshua, that at the core of who Jesus is, the core of who God is, is that he is a God who saves. He is Savior. It's the core of his identity. If you think back to the Old Testament, time after time, God is called the God who saves. We lift up the horn of his salvation. He is a God who saves. And at Christmas, we celebrate this God who saves coming into human flesh to save the world. Woven throughout the entire Christmas story that we cherish, Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, is this emphasis on God as Savior, Jesus, Yeshua as Savior. If you flip over to Luke chapter 2, 
the more popular part of the Christmas story. Maybe it's a part of your Christmas traditions. Perhaps you read it around the dinner table, Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. I want you to look at the angelic pronouncement to the shepherds beginning in verse 8, Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a what has been born to you? A savior. A savior has been born to you. Their announcement was that today in the town of David, a savior, the savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The angels come to these shepherds and they say, listen, the savior, God has come to save. That's who he is. So when you think about Jesus, he is far more than a baby. When you think about Yeshua, he's far more than a baby. He is Savior. At the heart of the story is that he is a Savior. This child born to this vulnerable teenage mom and her equally vulnerable betrothed Joseph was the Savior of the world. God slipped in behind enemy lines in the shadows of one of the mightiest fortresses in the region, the Herodium, outside of Bethlehem. And he came to save. He came to rescue. When we think about the great rescue story, every rescue story has someone that needs saved, something we need saved from, something we're saved to, and a savior and a rescuer. We learn that Jesus is that rescuer. Now, what about the others? There's something or there's some ones that need saved. We are those somebodies. We are those some ones that need rescued. We need saved. When you think about the angelic announcement in Luke chapter two, the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy for who? You can look in your Bible. All people. It's for everyone. It's not just for the people in Jesus' day. It's not just for the people that will come in the future, but it's for people past, present, and future. All people need the rescue, need the saving that Jesus brings. You are the someone. I am the someone. The people that have come before us, the people that will come after us, they are the someones. Every great rescue story has someone that needs saved and we are those someones. Every great rescue story has something we need rescued from. When you think about our special forces, who go behind enemy lines and have these valiant and courageous rescue operations. They're not doing that in your local Walmart. Like you're not in the checkout line, getting ready to check out your Mountain Dew and your your Sour Patch watermelons, and all of a sudden the special forces just bust through the ceiling and grab somebody and take off. What are special forces doing? They're going somewhere where people actually need rescue. They need rescued from something. So if we are the some ones that need rescued, let's be reminded of what it is we need rescued from. And we need rescued from sin and all of its devastating and deplorable uh, consequences. Isaiah says that we all like sheep have gone astray. 
Romans chapter three tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is rebellion against God. And all of us on our own accord will drift from the good ways of the God that made us. And we will give in to the lies and the deception and the temptation that the enemy brings and we'll create messes of brokenness in our lives. And we need rescued, imprisoned by sin in its various forms, imprisoned by lust, imprisoned by greed, imprisoned by um, violence and anger, imprisoned by addiction. And we can't rescue ourselves. And so God sends Jesus who can rescue us. We are the someones who need rescued, and what we need rescued from is sin. But God rescues us to something else. Every great rescue, you're rescued not only from something, but to something. When, when, when the rangers come into uh, Cabinetuan City, they don't just say, hey, great guys, we're here. No, they take them someplace safe. They move them to someplace else. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us is that he, he brings us into eternal life. A misconception that's happened in the church, especially in America for a long time, is that, that the greatest thing about being saved is that we're saved from hell. We, we basically have like some sort of fire insurance that helps us the day we die. But anybody that proclaims to you good news that's only rooted in being protected when you die doesn't sell you the beauty of what salvation is, that we're also rescued to eternal life with Jesus today. When we turn to him, when we follow him, when his spirit comes to live inside of us, we have access to experiencing his eternal life, although not in its complete fullness yet until he returns. Paul says we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's in Philippians chapter two. But we get to experience it in part. We get to experience, we get to taste that joy that those angels were talking about. We're rescued to something. In Romans chapter three, or is it chapter six? Now I'm all confused. In, in Romans I'll tell you in a minute. I won't be confusing one. Romans chapter six, verse 23, when uh, Paul writes that the wages of sin is death, he says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that eternal life begins today. The gospel is good news. Not just because it changes the outcome of where and how we'll spend eternity, but because it changes today. We have victory today. Any place where you and I experience the dreadful pain that's caused by sin or the consequences of sin, any relationship, any circumstance, there's a way that Jesus can provide rescue in that right now, today. As we seek him, as we turn to him, as we do things his way, we experience his rescue every day. Rescue to the life that he created us for. Again, every rescue story Someone that needs rescued, something we're rescued from, sin, something we're rescued to, life with Jesus. And the rescuer is him. So how do we respond to that? How do, how do we live in the reality that Jesus is more than a baby, he's the savior? And I, I think we can take uh, a look at the shepherds very briefly and see their response. If you look at that record in Luke chapter two, you'll see that when the um, angels speak to the shepherds, um, it says that let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that they've told us about. In essence, the shepherds say, okay, we've heard this. Let's go experience it for ourselves. So if we wanna experience Jesus as savior, we have to pursue him. We have to choose to run to him to say, I need you. 
If you have never chosen to trust and follow Jesus, to accept the saving that he brings to you, what's stopping you? Have you ever thought, like, how much sense would it make for our special forces uh, to go into a place like Cabinetuan City, uh, risk their lives, courageously go behind enemy lines uh, to show up and for the people to say, no, I think we're good. It seems ridiculous, but if you read the stories of the Great Raid, you'll actually find that when those special forces made their way into the prison camp, they rescued 510 prisoners, but there were more prisoners there. But those prisoners were more fearful of what it would mean to leave than they were the captivity that they knew. And I wonder how many people hear these great things about who Jesus is, but they fear what it means for the change that will take place in their lives. And they know the hardship of what it's like to live without them. They know what the hardship is to to live underneath the, the mess of their own selfishness and selfish ambition but to change everything, that's even scarier. And I hope that if that's you, you'll think about this God who was willing to come in human flesh, to expose himself to every trial, every pain, every difficulty, every hurt that you and I are exposed to. And he did it to rescue us. And that tells us that our God is for us and he's not against us. He wants you to trust and follow him. He wants you to experience that saving grace. He wants you to know Jesus as his savior. I don't know where you find yourself this Advent season. If you're in a place of hurt, if you're in a place of heartache, if you're in a place of of doubt, but there is a savior that can lead you through that valley. There's a savior who can rescue you. He does it all the time. And we would love to help you encounter him. If you want to know more about how Jesus can save and rescue you, I'd encourage you to talk to someone who's invited you, someone who's brought you today. Uh, if you don't have that person, you can reach out to us in a number of ways. You can come up and talk to me after our worship is over. Uh, you can email us, connect at lebanonchristian.org. You can scan our QR codes around the building that say, let's connect. Uh, you can go old school and grab a connection card at one of our communion stations and let us know that you want to talk about meeting Jesus and knowing how he can save you and put it in our offering box. And we'll help you find this Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost. He is a God who saves. If you already know Jesus, then keep pursuing him. Pursue that life that he has for you. Allow him to to show you more and more what he has rescued you to. The other response I see in the shepherds is this. Not only did they go and pursue Jesus, they went to find him for themselves, experience him for themselves. But what does it tell us after they met Jesus? It says they went out and they told everyone about what they had seen and they'd heard. They couldn't wait to tell others about how the savior of the world had come. Are you and I motivated, if you're a follower of Jesus, to tell others about him? Let me say, Craig, how do I tell others about him? Well, I'll tell you how we have done it for years and it hasn't worked out so well. We typically will go into someone else's life and someone maybe we don't even know very well and we'll quickly point out how Jesus can change everything for them. What often is heard is, you just wanna change me. You wanna fix me. You know, a more powerful way is when we can enter into people's lives and as we listen well, we share with them how Jesus has rescued us and that invites questions. How did Jesus change your marriage? How did Jesus help you when your kids were rebelling? 
How did Jesus help you when you were in finals week and you weren't sure you were going to pass the test? How did Jesus help you when your girlfriend or your boyfriend broke up with you? How did Jesus help you when you didn't make it on the sports team? How did Jesus help you when you had a devastating career-ending injury? How did Jesus help you? And as you share how Jesus has rescued you, guess what? They'll invite you to share how Jesus can help rescue them like he has you. And then your testimony, your witness gains traction in their lives and they get introduced to the Savior who wants to save them just as he saved you. In Lebanon Christian Church, uh, whether you're part of our family regularly or you're here as a guest, maybe someone you love was singing in the choir today, may this Christmas be a Christmas where you see that he is so much more than a baby, that he is Savior. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for the beauty and the wonder and the power of your word. God, I thank you that through this story that has been unfolding since the beginning of time, part of the story that we're celebrating in this season of you coming, the savior of the world, that we just see the profound simplicity. And God, your word shouts at us if we'll just linger in it. You are so much more than a baby. Yes, you're the firstborn. Yes, you're the king. But God, you are a savior. And God, we're grateful. God, I ask that for those that have yet to experience your saving love, that you would provoke a curiosity in them that is unquenchable, that they would ask questions, that they would ask for help, and that, God, there would be men and women in this room who come alongside them and lead them to that living water that they themselves have found. God, would you give them courage? Would you give them courage to acknowledge you, to believe in you, to confess you as the Lord and master and king of their life, to, to take those hard steps of turning the whole orientation of their life from living for themselves to living for your ways? And, God, would you give them the courage to exercise that faith in identifying with you in baptism, being filled with your spirit and walking in this new life. God, would you help each of us who are already following you to pursue you earnestly, to live as people who are rescued from and to, from sin and to something incredible in honoring you. God, lead us and guide us this Advent season. Amen.